We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash lawless. Just go to Indeed.com slash lawless right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed com slash lawless terms and conditions apply need to hire you need indeed carlos cordero has to be a president not just to the members that voted for him but also to the ones that didn't it is his responsibility as the head of the governing body for soccer in the united states to bring some unity but ultimately to bring change Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lawless, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue colored glasses. As you heard, we'll be talking about the U.S. Soccer Federation election results. We'll have our Mossy Makes the Case segment. We'll be answering your questions in our Ask Alexi segment, and so much more. But as always, joining me is my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher slash writer extraordinaire. Mr. Mossy, how are you? I am great, Alexi. Uh, you'll notice Jersey theme ended after one week. I forgot to bring one today. Yeah, for, th- for those that can't see us, Mossy last week wore his PSG jersey. And then over the next couple of days, myself and all of our staff started to get these texts and emails talking about his consternation at the fact that he realized there is a video component to this podcast. And to see his video self out there, you were not happy with the way that you were portrayed visually. Alexi, I cannot believe how fat I looked on those Facebook clips. <laughs> I look like Artie Lang, and I am not that fat. There's some funny business going on with this camera, and I am going to get to the bottom of it. Well, today, uh, once again, if you can't see him, Mossy has d- decided not to wear a jersey, but he is wearing the slimming black sweater uh, in a, a Cosby-esque type of way. Yes, uh, clearly by design. Uh, it, it was going to be, incidentally, a Ronaldinho Barca jersey, but I accidentally left it at home this morning. So, Well, I... I always think you look good, my friend. And you know what? You're here not for what you wear, for what you say and uh, what you give this show. All right, listen, let's move on. Let's stop talking about what the hell you're wearing and let's uh, get to this podcast. You ready to light this candle? Let's do it. Okay. As you know, each and every week, we kick off the pod with Alexi Lalas's State of the Union. Yes, indeed, it is the State of the Union. This is what I have to say about the state of American soccer today. Over the course of the USSF presidential election, many argued, including several candidates, about the need for more, quote, soccer people to be involved in positions of power within the U.S. Soccer Federation. Now, soccer people is often really just code for former players. Many also argued that this election should be the moment when real soccer people take the game back and make decisions focused more on about what is good for the game and less on what is good for the business. This is nothing new. We often look at former athletes as possessing a unique, authentic, or valuable understanding of the game, and one we want to mine. But when the Athlete Council, 
which by law controls 20% of the vote and consists of 20 former and current players, when it plays Kingmaker and it dictates and decides the election by wielding and exercising its collective power and voting in block for the eventual winner Carlos Cordero, when they do that, they're called cowards. Now, these soccer people are suddenly accused of compromising their values, abdicating their responsibility to support the change that many have called for, or simply betraying the game itself. But you can't have it both ways. And this glaring hypocrisy and contradiction is part of the ugliness that we've seen over this amazing political season. It seems soccer people are great until they do something you disagree with. And that, ladies and gentlemen, has been my State of the Union. Mossy, thoughts? Well, first off, great job by you and Grant Wall in Orlando. How you nabbed that Stu Holden interview. Oh, that was, that <laughs> One was, of our own, that baby. Was some get. Uh, <laughs> but no, that, that was the headline, the fact that the Athletes Council decided the election in favor of a businessman who I'm not sure could pick Lionel Messi out of a lineup. And this whole debate about soccer people versus business people has been fascinating. Eric Winalda, you know as well as I do, is very proud of his playing career, as he should be, and feels like that should carry a lot more weight when he goes out for these jobs for manager, for an office, or in this case, president. Uh, there's different schools of thought on that. Uh, Rigo Saki, the legendary Italian coach, he never played. And uh, when that was brought up to him, his famous quote was, you don't have to have been a horse to be a great jockey. So there's different schools of thought on it. Uh, and it was fascinating to see which way it was going to go in this election. And, and the fact that the Athletes Council tipped it Cordero's way. And, and from everything you read, they were strongly considering Kathy Carter as well. Yep. I find absolutely fascinating. It, it, it was nuts down there in, in, in a good way. I mean, I, I left... A little bit, a little bit of a sense of feeling dirty in some of the stuff that I saw, but ultimately, uh, I, I felt hopeful after that. I felt hopeful because while there was ugliness, uh, not just there, but all throughout this campaign at times, and things were said that maybe shouldn't be said, and I know a lot of times we couch it as, well, that's politics. Yeah, I, I guess so, it's politics, but this is also soccer, all right? And while we take it very seriously, we also recognize uh, that it it deserves some perspective and some understanding, especially when you compare it to things around the world that are of much more importance. But when you're running and when you're in it, I, I get it. It's emotional. To see the candidates down there and then to see how the members voted, because we were, we were looking at it from the outside. And Twitter doesn't decide this election. Podcasts don't decide the election. The members decide the election. And it was never more clear than when those election results started to come out. And you saw people who were out there and very, very visible and, and saying all sorts of things, hardly get any votes. And some very popular candidates, whether it's uh, Eric Winaldo, who I thought did actually better than I thought he was going to do. And I thought Kyle Martino did worse than I thought he was going to do, certainly on that first round, which had Carlos and Kathy at the top. It was it was amazing to see, and it just showed that someone like Carlos understood from the get-go that he needed to go to the people that were voting. He didn't need to go to me or you or anybody else out there or Twitter. He needed to go to the people who were voting, and he benefited. Keep in mind that he had an election process two years ago for vice president in which he got close to 70% of the vote. So he had already been had done the rounds and talked to those people. And it showed because he came out of the gates strong. And then when that when people started to flip, they flipped for him. And ultimately, he won it. Not necessarily, I guess you could call it a landslide, ultimately. And they picked, as you said, the guy who certainly doesn't have that traditional soccer background, and, and certainly relative to your, uh, your Kathy Carter's maybe, and certainly relative to 
Kyle Martino and Hope Solo and Paul Caligiuri, all these different players or former players that were involved in this. Yeah, by the time we got to the election, there was this sense of resignation uh, amongst the change crowd that it wasn't going to happen. So then it became a question of Kathy Carter versus Carlos Cordero, which is the lesser of two evils? And my impression is that most people feel like Cordero is the lesser of two evils. There was something so off-putting about the whole Kathy Carter thing. We just had 12 years of Sunil Gulati, and to elect his hand-picked successor, somebody who just played a prevent defense the whole time, gave the fewest interviews, had nothing interesting to say, that would have been really bad. Cordero, at least, by the very fact that Galati didn't want him to run, gives him some daylight there, and the sort of campaign he ran, some of the ideas he put forth, I think even if you're a change guy, you're not happy with the outcome, but you can talk yourself into this a little bit more than you could have if Kathy Carter had won. That's my impression. That's true, but I, I don't see him as an outsider. He is an insider, and he did a really smart and good job of distancing himself, especially over the last couple of weeks. He, he is not a sexy pick, and he, he does not speak well in public. He does not come off well in public, and he knows that. I've, I've talked to him. I've known him for, for a long time. He understands that he probably needs to get better, but he also understood that that wasn't what was going to win him uh, the race, and he was very, very smart in, in what he did. Uh, Hope Solo, uh, when it came to those final speeches that all the candidates gave. I, I, I got a lot of respect because Hope Solo never deviated. Now, she napalmed everybody in her five-minute speech and and then proceeded to not, not only napalm everybody, but including Carlos Cordero, who was standing on the edge of the stage. And for me, the weirdest moment was after Hope Solo just completely decimated everybody and anybody, including and especially Carlos Cordero, he walked off the she walked off the stage and he hugged her. <laughs> it was the strangest thing ever. And then he got up and gave his speech. I was a little disappointed in Eric when all this speech because it was a little. It almost seemed like a concession speech, and yet he focused on fight. And yet I wanted more of a fight. And maybe he had just gotten to the end, realized what was going on, and it just was debilitating to him physically and emotionally. And that came out in his speech. Now, your State of the Union last week was all about how, regardless of the outcome, Eric Winall is the big winner of this election. Yes. Do you feel that State of the Union has aged well now that you've had another week to marinate on it? Yes. I do think that Eric Winaldo will forever be looked upon as a counterculture, an anti-establishment, a revolutionary type of figure in this. And he will have his supporters and he will have, uh, I think, them for a long time because there still is a sentiment out there that we are doing things wrong. This election doesn't change it. And that's why Carlos Cordero, he has to be a president, not just to the members that voted for him, but also to the ones that didn't. And yes, to a certain extent, to all of us on the periphery and, and outside, it is his responsibility as the head of the governing body for soccer in the, in the United States to bring some unity, but ultimately to bring change. And I talked to him the morning after the event, and I will tell you this, and this goes to your point about him, uh, people being okay with it ultimately. He recognizes, maybe more so than people believe, that he has to bring change and real change, Mossy. I'm not talking about just a little bit of change. I'm talking about change where you can look back four years from now and say, you know what? This guy did things that hadn't been done before, and he did it in a way that was successful and that and that was and that at least was perceived as something that we needed to have done. And whatever that looks like, whether it's pay to play, whether it's the development academy system, whether it's transfer fees, any of the different things that people talk about, there has got to be a perception after this four, four years that this guy wasn't just the status quo. He, and, and 
And he understands that. I mean, he point blank was talking about the fact that he recognizes this pressure and this power and this opportunity for himself. Now, Galati, as we know, ran three straight elections unopposed. Do you think those days are over? A new precedent has been set here. And when Carlos Cordero runs for reelection, he'll have to fight off lots of other candidates? I don't think we will have a situation like Galati for some time to come. I think there are people that will already eye the opportunity in four years to run against Carlos Cordero. And I think, and this goes back to my State of the Union this, this week, and, and we can finish it up here. I think some of the vitriol uh, and some of the, the real cruelty that, that I get it is based in a human disappointment uh, is unwarranted, I think is disingenuous, um, and I think says a lot more about a lot of those people out there and the fact that they are just disappointed ultimately in a decision that people made. And that's that to me, and that's why I wanted to at least try to show people that that while you may disagree with someone's decision, recognize, and I can tell you for a fact that, that these men and women, they work their off to become educated about the about the folks out there. And what, they may have made decisions that you don't like, but to accuse them of being uh, cowardly or shirking their responsibility, um, I, I just think that that's, that's, that's beneath us, even if you disagree with what they did. Moving on. Mossy makes the case. As you heard, it's time for Mossy makes the case. Mossy, what do you got for this this week? Well, Lexi, the Champions League is back. This week, after a two-month hiatus, I could not be more excited about it. Can't you tell by my, I can, my voice? I can hear yes. the excitement in your voice. I'd like to get into the round of 16 a little bit yes. and also Let's offer a prediction, sort of, on who I think is going to win it. Okay. Now, the big story so far has been the domination of the English teams. Five made it to the round of 16. The way things are going, I half expect there to be five English teams in the semifinals somehow because it, it doesn't seem like anybody can stop these teams. Uh, we're taping this on a Tuesday, two games today. Manchester City blew away Basel at St. Jakob Park, 4-0. And Tottenham amazing, uh, amazing fell game. down 2-0 away to Juventus, but an absolutely brilliant performance the rest of the game. 2-2, probably should have won the game on the balance of play, and now are in very good shape uh, going back to Wembley. Uh, looked like clearly the better team. I wasn't sure about this tie. This was the one that I thought was like 50-50, right. but coming off today, I think Tottenham are clearly favorites to advance. Of the five English teams, Manchester City clearly the pick of the litter, and so they're now a very trendy pick to win the Champions League this season, but uh, I'm going to tell you right now, I think the winner of the PSG Real Madrid tie will stamp themselves as the favorite moving forward. The reason I say that is if Real Madrid get past PSG, it means they were able to flick that switch and they are back. And so having won it the last two years, once they get that swagger back, I think it's hard to pick against them. And for PSG, it would just be getting over such a psychological hurdle to eliminate Real Madrid that I think that would give them such an incredible boost and they would be looked on as the favorites moving forward. So uh, it's a little bit of a, you know, I'm giving you an either or, but I think one one of those two teams yeah. will come out of this round as the favorites to go. But all does the way. someone get fired? Does a loser get fired in terms of the manager? I think uh, more so Unai Emery rather than Zidane. Uh, Zidane has more currency built up there. I mean, the fact that he's won the Champions League the past two seasons, to me, he should be allowed to eat a bad season and come back, regroup in the summer, uh, I guess spend 300 million euros on Harry Kane and uh, and come back next season. You know, it's a really odd thing in in soccer. There's no scenario where Doug Peterson, the Eagles coach, would get fired next year. When, When you have great success, you build up a certain level of currency. While that doesn't seem to happen, in soccer. Every manager seems to start every new season at, at 
you know, from scratch and has to prove himself all over again. And if they have a bad season, he gets fired. Look at Antonio Conte, who won the Premier League last season and now has one foot out the door at Chelsea. So, you know, maybe Zidane will get fired, but I think that's ridiculous. The, the guys earned the right to, even if things don't go his way in this tie. But Emery, Come on, man. with all the money they've spent, uh, Janet Jackson, baby. it's been what unimpressive you, so far. Lately? Didn't even win the league last season, yeah. finished behind Monaco, the collapse against Barcelona. He goes out in the round of 16 again this season. You could make a case they need to go out and get a better coach. But it's not as if they just just missed out. I'm talking about Real Madrid. It's not as if Real Madrid has just missed out on La Liga. I mean, it, it's it's bad when it comes to La Liga. No, absolutely. Now, let me say this on both coaches. Some of the decisions they make in this tie could influence how people feel about them because they both have some big decisions to make. The Don, there's that eternal BBC versus Isco debate. We'll see which way he goes in both these legs. While Emery has some big decisions to make as well. Uh, Angel Di Maria uh, has been playing very well the last few weeks, and there's actually some suggestions out there that he's going to start Di Maria in place of Mbappe in these two games. That would be a fireball offense to me. <laughs> I mean, Mbappe <laughs> has to start both these games the other big decision he has to sort out and people don't realize how big this is I tweeted about this the other day Tiago Mota is out for the first leg and who knows about the second leg he's been battling injuries this whole season he's been an injury prone player his whole career and he is such an important guy he plays the Busquets role on that team that pivot guy in the midfield they really haven't had a backup for him so whenever he's out they have to play either Rabio or Giovanni Lo Celso out of both excellent players but kind of out of position there they went out in January they got Lo Sana Diara, who might be past it. Uh, and so I'm not sure they have a player to play that position if Mata's out. And they, they could be in some real trouble if they, they go to play Real Madrid without any real bite in that midfield. Yeah, but, but as you're making this case now, I'm thinking about Bayern Munich. I'm thinking about uh, Barcelona. I'm thinking about Man, uh, Man City. You, you don't see those? Uh, even so why? I still don't understand why Real Madrid, just because they finally get over the hump if they were to, and, and they're back into the promised land if they beat someone like PSG, or you could say the same thing about PSG. They not only beat somebody, but they beat Real Madrid. How does that make them the favorites yeah, in your it- mind? Well, the fact that they've—we were talking about Real Madrid. Yeah. The fact either, that either or. The fact that they've won it the last years. They have this incredible yeah. pedigree in the Champions League. Now they've been underperforming. They're showing the season. not the same team. But, but if they beat PSG, I think maybe that we'll feel like they are the same team. Just magically appears. Yes. Oh, okay. And right. uh, listen, throughout the group stage, the general consensus was the three best teams in Europe were Barcelona. PSG and Manchester City in some order. I have to say, Bayern have worked their way into that conversation with what they've done yep. since Heinkes got there. They've been tremendous, so they need to be thrown into that mix. But let me address Manchester City for a second, uh, because listen, they're, they're beautiful to watch. I love Pep. I love everything about the There's way they butt. play. There's a big butt coming. I can feel it. But I just wonder if the same thing that happened to Pep's Bayern teams isn't going to happen to Man City. They are the only team in the world now that presses high the entire game. All the other big clubs, even the ones that press high for part of the time they also can adjust in certain games and defend deeper and and try to set up a counterattack. man city they don't know any other way to play they press you very deep in your own half they try to win the ball back sure. right away and they leave open spaces behind there and you saw what happened with pep's Bayern teams when they ran into a barcelona real madrid with that quality of attacking talent at the other side uh you know they just got picked apart and i wonder if that's going to happen with manchester city too if they run into a barcelona real madrid psg later on so that's my one concern with them. Before we move on, uh, we, we did the uh, the games today, as we mentioned, the uh, I think a wonderful performance from Tottenham and a bad performance when it came to, from uh, Juventus. Gigi Buffon, we love him. He's a legend and all that kind of stuff. He was bad. He was bad in that game. On both goals, I think you can say he needs to do better. Comes out on the first one, 
does, I mean, I don't know what he was doing ultimately, and Kane just waltzes around him and, it, and puts it in. And on the, on the Erickson goal, he gets, he gets beat on the, on the side of the goal that he is covering. Is it, is, is it sacrilege to say something like that? No, no. I mean, that, that, that was a terrible mistake. Stu Holden uh, had a great line. He said he didn't trust his wall on that uh, because if he, if he had just stood where he was supposed to stand, that was an easy save. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe they'll play Chesney in the second leg back in London. Uh, oh, how, well, I mean, look, I know he had a bad game, Aussie, <laughs> nah, but kidding. don't go to extremes here. I mean, but yeah, very disappointing. You know, I know people talk about how the Italian teams uh, have this great tactical advantage over English clubs, but lately, what I've been noticing is when English teams play Italian, the English teams just play so much faster with so much more energy. They're more dynamic, and Italian teams just have a hard time keeping up. And you definitely saw that today. Well, you heard it right here. Uh, Mossy is picking either Real Madrid or PSG, whichever one comes out of this. Uh, Amazing tie. Cannot wait to see how this finishes up. All right, moving on. Ask Alexi. As you heard, yes, this is the segment Ask Alexi, where we answer all of those questions that come from uh, Twitter and Facebook and every other social media platform out there that you can get to us. All right, Mossy, what do the people want to know this week? Easy decisions this week, Alexi. These were the only five tweets you received that weren't, your podcast sucks. (laughs) Okay. At Zane McCarthy wants to know, what do you think of Donovan's return to soccer? This would be Landon Donovan that uh, Zane is talking about, right? I don't know if you've heard. Certainly Zane has. Mr. Donovan has returned to soccer. Uh, One of the greatest, in my mind, the greatest American soccer player ever to play the game. Has retired couple of times now, maybe three times now. He's back playing down in Mexico, Liga MX for Lyon. He got his first start uh, over this past week. Or not start, excuse me, minutes on the field. Look, this is a guy who retired early. And I, I know how difficult it can be. I retired once and then came back too. Because you stop doing something that you've done for so long at such a high level. And it becomes your life. And yes, to a certain extent, it becomes your identity. And when it's stopped, either taken away or by decision stopped, it's very, very difficult to adjust. And this is a guy, I can't quit you. He he can't quit the game. And since he's still young enough physically to be able to continue to play, and by the way, people are going to pay him a boatload of money to do it, more power to him. Go ahead. Uh, I, I love it. I don't think anybody is going to call League MX a retirement league in the way that they would if this happened in uh, in Major League Soccer. But if someone's going to pay him a lot of money, he can still do it. He wants to do it. Uh, go ahead. Is it interesting? Yeah. It makes me want to watch Leon more so than I have in the past, which means at all. And and I And I hope that he does well. And I hope he's able to have some sort of finality and, and conclusion. And hopefully this fills that need so that when he does retire next, he can go on and live the rest of his life. Because as as wonderful and as defining as a, a career can be, it's still a very small portion of your life. And you better have the ability to live that rest of your life and find other things that maybe don't, certainly can't live up to, uh, it can't be the same thing, but they can at least give you the excitement uh, and the joy that playing the game is. They're, they're gonna, it's going to be a different type of excitement and joy, but you got to be able to find those things. And sometimes it's very difficult. And unfortunately, sometimes athletes never find that and they struggle after they stop playing. Yeah, the big loser here is Kobe Jones, because if Landon ever plays himself back into the national team mix, he might overtake his caps record. Uh, when Donovan got cut in 2014, Kobe was popping the champagne 72 Dolphin style. So, uh, Now, your Wikipedia page says you quit the first time to pursue a music career. That it is does? not true. Yes. Well, I don't maintain the Wikipedia page, so I don't. it could say anything. Um, that is not technically true. I, you want to know why I quit the first time? 
as with most cases, there is a uh, a, a girl involved. And uh, I, I, to be quite honest, I I had burnt myself out. I had milked it at for you know and burnt it at both ends and milked it for all it was worth for a number of years and I got to the point where I just could not continue I quit I did some television I did some traveling and I chased a girl that then ultimately became my uh my wife and so it was out of love that I quit the game my friend and in doing so I fell in love twice not just the girl but with the game again and I returned a better human being and ultimately a better player and ironically I had my most successful point after that. So sometimes taking a step away can really help you as a person, as a player. All right, let's move on. <laughs> um, at US Keeper asks, now that Carlos Cordero is president, do you think the next US men's national team manager should be hired ASAP or after the World Cup? No, because they have made it very, very clear that they're going to hire technical directors or GMs, whatever you want to call them, both for the men's national team and the women's national team. That is the priority. Get that person in, and then he or she decides who the coach is. What was it, 10, 15 years ago when it became in vogue for American teams, uh, soccer teams, to have these sporting directors, technical directors, GMs? The, The reality is that the definition of that is key. So what does this person actually do? How do they fit into that org chart? What are their responsibilities? You got to be able to define that first. But if you're going to have that person, that person, at least for me, is going to dictate who you're going to hire as a coach. So until you hire that general manager, technical director, sporting director, which they are going to do, you don't hire a coach. And certainly if you can have some time and patience to wait until the summer, there might be some other, uh, other options out there. But I think it's almost going to be even more important who he, who he hires as the technical director than who ultimately that technical director with the help of whoever else hires as a coach. At Carrillo Raymond asks, so do you think LAFC will have a good first year? I think that they will have a competitive first year. And in that sense, that would be good, especially when you put it up against, I don't know, the last or one of the last uh, expansion teams to come in, let's say Minnesota, who had a horrible first year. And it even looked worse because Atlanta came in and had a great first year. And that's really where new teams that are coming in are measuring themselves, especially a team that's coming into Los Angeles uh, and this market. I, I actually had the opportunity last week to go and tour the new stadium for LAFC. Off the field, this is going to be a incredible venture. The stadium's going to be wonderful. It's right uh, downtown in a, in a very different area than the StubHub Center where the Los Angeles Galaxy play, but they got to put a product on the field. And we are fickle here in, uh, in Los Angeles. And look, we... We see something shiny, and this is a shiny new toy. We run to it, and then we find something else. So that will only last so long. So you better have a good product on the field. I think they're going to be competitive in that. I think they're going to be competitive to possibly make a uh, a playoff spot this year with Bob Bradley, with what they're doing. But they're still not as exciting as Atlanta was last year in their first year, or Atlanta is going f- uh, forward into their second year. They still got a ways to go for that. Check out the name on this guy. At Captain Underbite. What a a childhood he must have had. Wants to know, what are your thoughts about the recent opinion column from Jeff Cameron Mm. about the state of U.S. soccer? Uh, For people who missed this, this was in the Players' Tribune, uh, the Derek uh, Jeter-run publication. I I wonder if he still runs it now that he's a Marlins owner. Maybe not. But, uh, yeah, no, he he had a lot of interesting things to say. Took some shots at Bruce Arena. But the the big thing I took out of it is uh, he's a strong proponent that U.S. players have to go to Europe. There shouldn't be any hand-wringing about this. He mentions, you know, Places like Brazil or Argentina, they've sort of accepted their lot as essentially a feeder league and know that when you produce a really good player, he's going to eventually go to Europe and MLS needs to adopt that mentality and and accept it. 
Um, so what do you make of all that? I love Jeff Cameron because he's honest. He wears his heart on his sleeve. He's passionate about things on and off the field. And he gives me plenty of content in, in doing so. I would want him on my team because he's a good player. I also recognize that what Jeff Cameron is saying is not anything that we haven't heard before. So in that sense, a lot of the stuff that he talked about is just is just regurgitated. But it's coming from a voice and from a person who certainly has been there, uh, and with that comes, comes authority. I also couldn't help but think... Um, that this was also a guy who got benched and wasn't playing, and we've all we have all been there as players, and it it hurts, especially when the team then does not do well, and you immediately think that you could have been someone that could have helped them. And I I get it. I look back at my life and my career, and I, I regret f- very few things. But for example, 1998, I was part of the uh, the the fiasco that was the 1998 World Cup team in France and we finished last and the way that I acted and behaved and the things that I said and did I look back and I regret and I wish I could have done some things differently and I saw a little piece of of me in what Jeff Cameron was doing in that in that moment and he is in that moment right now you have incredible clarity, and you think you're seeing things absolutely the way they should be. Uh, you're definitive, and you and you you can't even possibly think that years from now you might not believe that. I think that Jeff Cameron's going to have a different perspective on the people and the things that happened and the decisions that were made with some time and with some perspective. You can't have it now because it's raw, and that's that's what came out. As far as the other things in terms of the future and, and development of players, that's all fine and well. I, I believe that you don't have to go to Europe in order to be a good soccer player. You don't have to go to Europe in order to be the best soccer player in the world. You don't have to go to Europe to play with the national team. And going to Europe is much easier uh, than people believe. Going to Europe in a good place, which is something that Jeff Cameron did, and making a life for yourself and playing on the field and having that life off of the field and being comfortable, that's a whole other story. And if you just want to go to Europe, there's planes leaving every hour on the hour from LAX and JFK and everywhere in between. I'm not mistaken, 98, uh, first game you guys lost 2-0 to Germany. Jurgen Klinsmann amongst the goal scorers. Yes, yes he was. He took the his, the ball off his chest and uh, just chipped it beautifully over uh, a uh, helpless Casey Keller. I remember thinking there's no way he could do more damage to the U.S. national team than this, and I was totally <laughs> mistaken. Uh, now, uh, Cameron, uh, in his piece, talked about how uh, we need more Pulisics out there. He used Pulisic as an example of a success story of an American going to Europe at a sure. young age. So we'll end on this. At Nathan P. Morris wants to know, is Pulisic the de facto leader of the U.S. men's national team going forward? I think he is in terms of of what we are looking at in terms of this team. I mean, the, the guy is an incredible player, and he's going to drive a lot of attention and interest and curiosity because of who he is. But a leader is, is very different. If you've ever seen uh, Christian Pulisic, and we've interviewed him many times, and we've, we, we've talked to him, um, it, it's not the most riveting, shall we say. It, it doesn't come off as a huge, over-the-top type of character or personality. And not everybody's like that. It doesn't mean you can't be a leader in the things that you do, or even behind the scenes. But I do think that as this core of players that we recognize are talented are given opportunities, there are going to be other leaders and maybe much more important leaders going forward. And that's not necessarily a bad thing because it can let Christian Pulisic do what he needs to do without forcing him also to be something he doesn't want to be. Mia Hamm, greatest uh, American soccer player ever to play the game, bar none. When you talk to Mia Hamm, she was kind of a reluctant leader and a reluctant hero and didn't you know, wasn't a big personality and didn't put herself out there. The good part about 
her, and I'm sure she would say this, is she was surrounded by other big personalities and leaders. And so Mia led on her own in a very, very different way. I think Christian Pulisic can do that and will do that. But as far as those traditional leaders, I'll bet you that there will be others that will emerge that you will look to that are much more gregarious and much more, and have much more personality and character, especially when it comes to the media and outwardly are much more of those traditional leaders that we have come to uh, realize are very, very important. And Christian will be able to do everything that he does so well on the field and lead in that way. That's it. That is it. Thank you so much for our Ask Alexi uh, questions in this segment. As I said, use the hashtag Ask Alexi, whether it's Twitter, whether it's Facebook, whether it's any other uh, social media platforms out there. And hopefully, we will get your question. And if you're lucky, we will use your question on the State of the Union podcast. Let's finish this thing up. The Back Three. All right, the back three. Mossy, how are we finishing this up? All right, let's talk Christian Pulisic's club future. Brian McBride has waded into this debate. Uh, a lot of talk about Liverpool and Manchester United both being interested. And McBride came out and said, if given the choice, Pulisic should go to Liverpool rather than Manchester United. What say you? Um, I Look, I, I think because of the Klopp association, I mean, it, it makes sense, and I and I get it. And I, I think there's the tendency to say, yeah, but not so fast. You know what? Sometimes if it if it looks good and it feels good, then it might actually be good. And so I tend to agree with with Brian uh, with Brian McBride. Um, I think that what Manchester United is right now with Jose Mourinho is certainly not what it was before. It's better. But I just think that for a guy like Christian Pulisic, who, and this has nothing to do with the fact that he's American, just the type of player that he is, he needs to be given freedom. And he needs to be given positive reinforcement. And I'm not saying that, that Jose Mourinho is out there with a, uh, you know, screaming and yelling at his players and not letting them do anything. But I just think that Klopp is more of a romantic. And when I see Christian Pulisic, I see romance in the way that he plays. And I worry that whether it's Mourinho or anybody is going to dampen that in an effort to have him become more efficient or pragmatic in his approach, we are going to find a situation where a coach says, no, you can't do this. We've been lucky so far in that he's been given, not carte blanche, but certainly the freedom to do stuff. And I would never want to see that freedom squashed in any way. And it doesn't mean that he can't defend. It doesn't mean that he doesn't have responsibilities and roles. Uh, and it doesn't mean you hold, don't hold him accountable for both sides of the game. But I think Klopp would give him the ability to continue to be the romantic that we want and to possibly be even more romantic. Yeah, I am not a Jose Mourinho fan. I frankly loathe the man. And uh, I know he's very sensitive about uh, this criticism, but uh, he does have an issue with young players. Uh, he doesn't fully trust them. He's never willing to turn the keys over to them completely. He's always on the lookout for a more experienced player. He brought in Zlatan last season, makes this move for Sanchez. So Martial, Rashford, they're always going to be in this sort of in and out of the lineup kind of thing, never be able to fully express themselves and become the superstars that I think they're both capable of. And and Mourinho, frankly, has a very hit or miss past with flair players. I mean, look a little further than the fact that the two best players in the Premier League this season, Kevin De Bruyne and Mohamed Salah, are guys that he discarded. He didn't think were good enough to be impact players in the Premier League. So I'd be wary if I was Christian Pulisic. Uh, I, actually, I agree with you. I think Klopp is a better fit. Liverpool, his style of play and his approach. Um, so, but, yeah, if given but, the choice. I would... I'll only say this as, as a caveat. The Christian Pulisic train is going to have a 
financial component and a business component, whether we want to, and, and a branding component, if you will. For his future as a brand, I think Manchester United would send him off into the stratosphere. And that's not a shot at Liverpool, but if you compare the two in terms of what it would do from his global brand, there might be a lot of pressure and maybe more pressure for him to go to a place like Manchester United. Now, that's not a reason to go, but it at times has played into reasons and played into decisions that players have made. So we'll see ultimately where uh, where Christian ends up. But the fact that we're talking about him going to some of these super clubs is wonderful because he has made us talk about that because of his play and because of what we realize is just an incredibly talented individual. Yeah, I mean, we love having him uh, in the Bundesliga here at Fox, but we all recognize how Premier League crazy this country is. Imagine having him play in these big Manchester United Liverpool games at Old Trafford, having an American play a starring role shirt sales tours i mean dortmund's coming over here to play games too already can you imagine the manchester united tour i mean even when when tim howard was involved with manchester united it 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 drives interest that otherwise wouldn't necessarily be there not from the soccer people necessarily but from just the casual soccer fan hey there's an american playing at manchester united I, I I know what Manchester United is, maybe more so than I know what Liverpool or any other uh, or another team is, and that's something that I want to be interested in, and that is valuable. That is valuable to owners, that is valuable to agents, and ultimately, it's valuable to players in this day and age where they think about the future of their brand. Now, I mentioned Mohamed Salah. He's involved in an incredible race right now uh, that has people excited for the Premier League top scorer this season, uh, Harry Kane. 23, Mohamed Salah, 22, Sergio Aguero, 21. We have 11 rounds left. Do you have any sense of which way that's going to go if you had to bet on one of those three to claim the golden boot? Aguero. I, I think that Aguero plays with the most talent around him of those three. I think most uh, Salah has done things uh, and taken it upon himself and put that team on his shoulder. It's not that he doesn't have talent around him. I, 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 I understand that. But... I think if you put a Mo Salah in a situation uh, like a Manchester City, it would be a, a whole nother level, which is why, I mean, how long can Mo Salah uh, stick around before somebody else comes uh, comes knocking? So, I, I, look, I, I think that if I was Real Madrid, if I was Barcelona, I would be looking at uh, Mo Salah as a potential player uh, to buy. And what is his value right now and that worth? And can... Can Liverpool keep him? Because he is their jewel right now. Yeah, a couple of issues with Aguero. Uh, because City have such a big lead and they're fighting on three other fronts. Now, the League Cup Finals in 12 days, so that'll be out of the way. But FA Cup, assuming they keep going there, and obviously the Champions League we talked about, they're one of the favorites there. Um, I think Pep might start resting him a little bit here. While the other two are going to be competing for top four right until the end, so they're going to be playing every week. Plus, remember with Aguero, Gabriel Jesus has been out. He's coming back. When he's available, Pep likes to rotate those two, get Jesus in there some games. So I think that's what might hurt Aguero in his golden boot quest. Well, so the I'd, other th- go, I'd go with Kane. I mean, he's you done go the last Kane. two seasons, I think. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a good thing. But I, I, I will just remind our listeners and our viewers uh, of my criteria when it comes to goal scorers, all right? I, I do not include penalties. All right? I think they should be a separate column, okay? Um, and it's not how many goals you score for me. It's how many different games you score a goal in. Because as a defender, if I knew that I had a player that scored consistently game after game after game, I knew that I was walking on the field and we were already winning one nothing. And there is nothing more valuable to me uh, than that. So the guy that scores four goals but then 
takes a couple games off and then comes back. That does nothing for me. The consistency of scoring game after game after game, that to me is much more valuable. So if we crunch the numbers at a certain point, I would be interested to see how those three shape up. So you have multiple goal games. That's all fine and well. I just want to know how many different games did you score in? And that to me is the most valuable when it comes to goal scoring. One last note on Kane. There was an amusing story this week. The fact that Arsenal actually let him leave their academy at a young age because he was too chubby. Really? Yes. There's hope for you, Mossy. Uh, uh, Gonzalo Higuain gives me hope every week that somebody that looks like that can be a... It isn't amazing. I mean, <laughs> God, it's amazing. Uh, I love now, that guy. Speaking of Arsenal, we'll end on that. Uh, we mentioned the Champions League earlier. The Europa League also comes back Oh, this yeah. Week. Uh, Arsenal, in that competition, they face Ostersund in the round of 32, which is a fascinating tie. They are this little Cinderella Swedish club that... Founded in 1996, only got to the top flight for the first time a couple years ago. They're managed by an Englishman, Graham Potter, who I know you're calling that game on Thursday, so you've been researching him. This is going to feel like an FA Cup tie against like a fourth-tier club. They're going to play in this tiny stadium in Sweden, so it's going to be fascinating. But assuming they don't trip up here, they they have been pegged as one of the favorites to win this competition. Now... They're also still in the mix for top four. Wow. So, well, let's start there. <laughs> uh, do you think they, they're eight points back of fourth? Now they have the Europa League to deal with. There's a lot of fixtures. Do you think they should throw their eggs in one basket versus the other? How, how should Wenger yeah. manage that? I, I think that you are looking, uh, and there's, there, there is a track record and there is a template to follow over the last couple of years when it comes to teams that are, are looking at a situation where they're not certain about the top four and they do throw all their eggs in one basket. And I think if you're Arsenal at this point, uh, you got to look at, at Europa as your best chance to get back into Champions League. And so I think that they need to go all guns blazing for that to make sure that that happens because I, I think it's I think it's going to be very, very difficult for them to finish top four because of the talent that, every, that, that that's around. And we know that Jose at one point said, you know what, this is the best deal. And it's part of your job as a manager to recognize and to figure out when to say, okay, this is the best path for us to be successful. Yeah, the last two years, like you said, Klopp and Mourinho both handled this very well. They kept the Europa League option open as much as possible. And then as the season progressed, it came to be their better option. Uh, Liverpool got all the way to the final two seasons ago. We're leading Sevilla 1-0 at the half. Should have been up by more. They had two stone-cold penalties turned down. And then they just had a bad 45 minutes. They lost 3-1. So they lost the Champions League berth there, but still came very close. Uh, and then United last season claimed the Champions League berth by virtue of winning the Europa League. So you're right. That That is the blueprint there. I wonder if Wenger, though, because at the start of this season, he was very sensitive about suggestions that the Europa League might be the better route. He kept saying, we finished in the top four for 20 straight <laughs> years because we didn't do it one year. You're telling me we can't do it again. So he is a it's, stubborn, silly man. His tune might have changed given what the, the, the standings look right now. So now, and, Arsenal, and it's only for three spots, let's be honest, at this point. I know you finished top four, but there's only three spots realistically available for them to get into because uh, Man City's gone and away. Of course. Now, Arsenal did suffer a blow here. Uh, Lacazette is going to be out uh, four to six weeks with a knee injury. The interesting thing about Arsenal, they made those moves in January, which everybody was excited about, uh, and they strengthened for the Premier League, but they arguably actually weakened themselves for the Europa League because Aubameyang can't play play, while Sanchez would have been able to play. 
So and then now you Lacazette's injury on top of it, so all of a sudden they have a bit of a striker problem well, here for see, the Europa League. Which there, is their better path to get back to the Arsenal Champions League? Arsenal is operating on a completely different level. All right, and for the, for us mere mortals, we can't even hope to understand what Wenger is is thinking when it comes to the decisions that are made. And you just need to trust in Wenger. Okay, everything is going to be just fine. On that note. All right, Mossy, my one big thing from today's podcast, and it goes back to our new United States Soccer Federation president, Carlos Cordero. I wish him all the luck in the world. He has got a lot of work to do. And I do hope that if and when his time comes to an end, that we can look back on four years, eight years, whatever it ends up being, and say, you know, he came in and there was a lot of skepticism, which there is right now. But he changed the way that we do business. He changed the way that we do business on the field and off the field. And ultimately, he brought about change that all of us wanted and that all the candidates were promising. Now, he might do it in a different way, but I really, really hope that this is a guy who undoubtedly has had success. And this is a smart guy. And the first uh, Hispanic American to be the president of the United States Soccer Federation, incredibly successful when it comes to business, a humble and kind gentleman. Uh, If you ever get a chance to meet him, I hope he recognizes his responsibility. And I think he does. And I hope he can bring about that change that so many people want. And that when we look back, we say, you know what? While we were skeptical at the beginning, this guy came and he worked And he brought people together, and he made us better as a soccer-playing nation on and off the field. And if he does that, well, he will have done his job. Well, that's it for this week, another edition of the State of the Union podcast. Please like and subscribe and review and do all the different things out there to get this podcast into your ears and in front of your eyes. You can check us out on Twitter. I am at Alexi Lawless on Twitter. David Mossy, you are at Statman Mossy, at Statman Mossy. Is that it? Correct. Oh, my goodness. Go follow him. He's a joy. He's a joy. As always, thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We will have another episode out next week. And as we say, size the deck.